I, I work remotely most of the time, so I've been in a lot of calls. I noticed that we don't greet each other now with good morning or good afternoon. We just simply say, can, can you hear me now? <laughs> or, or can you unmute yourself or, or something of that nature? So, uh, so that was my, my greeting to all of you this morning. Uh, so my name is Eric. If I uh, haven't met you, uh, love, love to connect with you as well uh, after the service. Uh, privilege. For me this morning to, to be with you and to unpack the, the Word of God with you. But, but I do want to give a quick unplug as well for uh, Seima San uh, laboring in, in Japan. So about three, four years ago, uh, I had an opportunity to, to, to travel to Japan for work uh, for, you know, sometimes a good stretch. And, uh, and, and one weekend, we, you know, I, I was there and my family happened to be there as well, my wife and uh, my daughter, and we wanted to find a church to, and my travel expanded the weekend, and I uh, wanted to find a church to, to worship, and Pastor Mark recommended us to, to, to go visit them, and it was a fantastic experience, uh, you know, beautiful church, very vibrant, uh, right on the harbor, as you can see from, from the picture there, uh, but I'm very impressed, just the, the, the excitement of the people there, uh, worshiping the Lord, uh, they, they sang... Uh, you know, some of the common hymns or uh, song that we sing, just except in a different languages. So that was a very interesting experience. If you don't know anything about, at all about the Japanese, they are actually very spiritual, uh, incredibly spiritual. So uh, in, in the street of Tokyo, just about in every corner uh, of the street, you would see, uh, you know, little rocks uh, for them to worship. Uh, they would, they would come, you know, in their hustle bustle. I mean, you, you can imagine Tokyo would be just like New York where everybody's just walking around in blazing speed. But then they would take time to worship the rock, uh, their pagoda and so on. Uh, incredibly spiritual, uh, but maybe just their spirit is not in the right place, right? That's why the work that Seima San uh, is, is doing is, uh, is incredible, right? Kind of bringing Christ to to the city where Christ is not known. So I encourage you to continue to pray for, uh, for the team there. And, uh, you know, we're looking forward to, to hear more updates uh, from, from them in the future. So uh, I don't have a clicker. Should I have a clicker? Oh, okay. Okay, awesome. Well, so uh, again, privileged to, to be with you this morning. So I wanted to... Start this morning with with a quote. Uh, so this is a quote. That is not a quote that I wanted to see. Uh, th- this is the quote that that I wanted to to start this morning. Uh, so this is a quote from uh, a famous preacher, uh, Charles Spurgeon. So you are aware, or may may, may have heard uh, his name, uh, or C. H. Spurgeon. So he said that live for God's glory. If you do that, no testing can ever shake you. If it glorifies God for me to lose my property, I'm no loser. I gave to God my, my goods years ago. If I put in prison and have lost my liberty, I'm no loser. I gave up my liberty years ago. If you are told me you are going to die, you are no loser, for you gave him your life years ago. So I wanted to put that. You know, as, as we open our time this morning, uh, as we consider this morning, you know, how we live in God's, for God's glory, in God's glory, in the midst of 
evil and temptation and testing that we face on on regular basis. So, so I thought that was, you know, just going to, you know, a, an opener for us this morning to, to consider. So, so as a context this morning, uh, so if you have been journeying with us, uh, we have been going through the book of 1 Corinthians. So Paul in this book writes to a church immersed in the city associated not only with trade, commerce, you know, business, uh, but, but also with, with corruption, you know, with uh, immorality. So, so this is a very challenging situation, a challenging uh, city uh, for Paul to write to. And in the previous several chapters, uh, we have been talking about things that are quite practical, right? So some of you may, may recall, we talk about idolatry, we talk about food, we talk about Marriage, we thought about singleness, uh, liberty. You know, th- those are some of basic, basic uh, things that we face every day. At the conclusion of chapter 9 last week, uh, Pastor Mark, uh, you know, took, took from kind of the last word in chapter 9 where we learned that Paul disciplined himself uh, like an athlete. Uh, I, I love that analogy, right? Like an athlete in training uh, to get a prize and to avoid being disqualified. So, so that's kind of our jump off point this morning. Uh, this morning we arrive uh, chapter 10, and chapter 10, if you look as a whole, uh, you know, it, 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 it's a very, you know, very interesting, right? Because at the very first glance, there's seemingly a big pivot here. Uh, so, Again, from kind of the everyday life that, that people experience, all of a sudden Paul begins this chapter 10 with the history lesson. So I don't know how many of you are history buff, so if, if I'm reading this, probably big yawn, right? Uh, but, but here, notice uh, in, in the very first verse, uh, there's a big word there, uh, for, uh, or other translation, uh, moreover. Uh, indicating that there is indeed a strong correlation between what Paul had previously said in previous chapter with what he was going to explain. So let's unpack that a little bit here. So first, uh, first one here. First one said, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. So here in verse 1, right from the get-go, Paul refers to a time when the Israelites journey from the land of Egypt to the promised land. So we are all familiar with, uh, with that story. So this is the time we commonly refer now as the Exodus, right? So this is when the Israel was freed from the bondage and then they're journeying to the promised land. And what Paul is pointing towards here is, you know, are, are really God's blessing during that difficult journey, right? So as you can imagine, going through the wilderness uh, it's not walk in the park, right? So there's a lot of things going on there. Uh, so what Paul wanting us to see or wanting the Corinthians to see here are the privileges that 
Israel enjoyed during that time. So, so I highlighted a couple things there. So under the cloud, so the clouds mentioned here is not, it's not just random clouds that you see on a cloudy day, right? So this is, this is, uh, this is the cloud of God that overshadow their journey. So Exodus 13 uh, gave us an indication to that. So we read that during the day, the clouds shelter the Israelites from the scorching sun. Uh, and then at night, it burns as a pillar of fire. Uh, so essentially, this is their nightlight. So there's some caricature, you know, picture there. This is not the actual picture from the Israeli days. Uh, but you can, you can see, right? So if you are, you know, a person living in one of those tents, right? You're not sure if God is with me or not. All you have to do is just peek over your tent and then you see, you know, either the clouds or the pillar of fire. So this is a constant ready reminder of God's presence. Uh, this is such a privilege, right? Such a privilege to, to be in that day, right? To be in that situation. A reminder that God never, never you know, leaves them alone, right? Amazing concept if you think about it. Very radical concept. Uh, so you may have heard, uh, so the Hebrew has a word for it. It's called Shekinah, right? You, again, you, you may have heard the, the word before. Shekinah means God's presence, God's glory. Again, a very, very beautiful concept for, for the people of Israelites living in that, uh, in that condition. And then it continue on, uh, Paul also mentioned, you know, the, the Israelite crossing the Red Sea, right? Uh, so Exodus 14 tell us that, that story. So once again, this is the time when God holding up the wall, the sea wall, to allow the Israelites go across as they were chased by the Egyptian. Demonstration of God's power, demonstration of God's love and protection towards the Israelite. And then same spiritual food and same spiritual drink. You may recall that the Israelites were getting bread from the heaven, quite literally, right? They call it manna. So this is a miraculous provision during the time in the wilderness. God sustained them all the way. But here's the irony. So if you read with me chapter first uh, 5, it says that nevertheless, so there's a big, big uh, word there, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And chapter 6 continued that now these things took place as example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So here's the thing. Here's the irony of this, right? So despite all the privileges that the Israelites enjoyed, despite all the blessings that they got, what's verse 5 say? Verse five, so verse 5, this is the ouch moment, right? This is the oh-oh moment, right? The Israelites received all the spiritual blessings, but they did not please God. So that's... That's, that's the reality, right? So you would think out of their abundant gratitude, right, towards God, they should have been more pleasing, they should have been more honoring, they should have been more closer to God, but they were not. And God was not pleased. So instead, the Israelites constantly tested God with their disobedience. Verse 7, with idolatry. 
verse 8, sexual immorality and grumbles, verse 10 right there. So for the people of Corinthians, the first Christian in the city of Corinth, this should have hit really hard. Because apparently some of the believers, they had become overconfident in their faith, right? They had become smugly in their Christian life. They were full with pride, excessive pride. So they were careless, reckless in their conduct. So just like the Israelites, the people in the city in Corinth, the Corinthians, they were testing the Lord with their questionable behavior. In other words, they were not interested in pursuing a life of holiness. They thought that they received their salvation, then they can do whatever they wanted. And as just Paul said, going back to chapter 9, they were in danger of being disqualified. So I don't know, if you've been around little kids in your life, you know, your, your own or neighbors or ne- niece, nephew, you, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? So small child, they're constantly pushing their boundaries, right? That's, that's what they do, right? That's what, they're, uh, that's what they do. I guess their mission in life is to push <laughs> their parents' boundaries, you know. So the question that's running in their little heads are, hey, how far can I get away without being punished, right? Without being noticed. Uh, you know, if, if you one day you get home from work, right? And then you may see scribbles on, you know, on the wall right there. Wow, that, that's interesting scribble, right? Scribbles on the wall on pencils, right? That's, you know, I don't know how he got there. <laughs> and, and then a few days later, you may discover a bigger piece now on, on the wall, right? The bigger piece on the wall appears, and only this time with permanent marker maybe, right? So, so it's boundaries, right? The boundaries that is being pushed, right? And then, you know, stranger things start happening in, in, in your home, right? <laughs> And things start disappearing, you know, just being, you've been gone, right? Disappearing from things. Things are moving places one, one to another. So, you know, one, one, one day you get home, you may see dirty socks in the kitchen counter. How did it get there, right? So, but, but here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. Uh, the, the irony for us, the, the thing for us, uh, we are no different, right? We, we love to unleash our four-year-old mentality Spiritually speaking, right, if, if, if I'm honest, if you are honest, that's, that's the situation. So like, just like the Israelite, just like the Corinthians Christian, we are exactly doing that today, right? We are constantly, constantly testing God, and we're trying to see how close we can get, as it were, to the fire without getting noticed, right, without getting disciplined, how much sins can we get away with, right? That's, that's the question that we constantly ask. So today, we may not worship golden calf. The Israelites worship golden calf. Uh, but we do worship other things, right? So, so what is it that you worship? Uh, is it materials, you know, your job, your family, your, your kids, uh, recreation, right? You know, flesh. Pleasures, right? Uh, maybe sports. Uh, you know, the Super Bowl is tonight, right? So, I don't know. Uh, with that, there are always other things that we use 
to become our idols. Uh, like for seven, say, idolatry is a big issue. So Tim Keller said that our hearts are idol factory, right? We're constantly coming up with new idols in our life. So idol is anything and anyone that take place of God in, in our life, in your life. Uh, but not only that, we also test God with our attitudes, right? Just like the Israelites. Do we grumble? Do we murmur? We complain. We, we criticize God when, when things don't go on our way, right? To, to our satisfaction. Uh, so our attitude are a way to, to voice ourselves. So testing God displeases Him. Uh, so we learn from Paul this morning. And our testing becomes a basis for disqualification from our own spiritual race. But here's the sad reality. The sad reality today is that we can't help ourselves. That's, that's, uh, that's the reality. We can't escape that. Uh, when sin came into the world, it corrupted everything that we have, right? Our heart, right? In totality, our not just our physics, you know, physical, uh, but, but everything in our hearts became corrupted. Our own desire today is to do evil. So R.C. Sproul has this famous quote here. So he said that we are not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners. That's our default, right? We are sinners by default. So that's the sad reality, right? And as if that wasn't bad enough, we do lack the power on our own to fight our sins and temptation. So the fact is that temptation come to us fast, you know, furious. Uh, we, are, we are simply out, outnumbered, you know, we are outmatched by the gravity of, of our sins. We are, we are overwhelmed. And those temptations, those sins, those, you know, behavior, attitudes, they, they tend to be sneaky too. Uh, so this is uh, an analogy that, that I really love. So, so this comes from uh, David uh, Guzik. Uh, so he's a pastor, he's an author, Bible commentator. So he has this picture. So I'm a very visual person, as you can tell, so I love pictures. But, but this, is, uh, this is his analogy. So he said that temptation in our life works like rocks in a harbor, right? So you can see those rocks there in the harbor. So when the tide is low, just what this picture is today, right now, when the, when the tide is low, everybody sees the danger and avoids it. But the strategy of Satan, Satan's strategies in temptation is to raise the tide to cover over the dangers of temptation, then Satan likes to crash you upon the covered rocks. So that's what we need to understand, right? What we need to understand, what we need to remind ourselves today that those, there are covered rocks, right? We need to recognize our own brokenness, our own fallenness in this world. We need to understand that we are too are vulnerable. So here's the question for us today. So what can we do, right? So I think everything I've said seems very hopeless, right? What can we do? Uh, well, I'm glad you asked. 
because I wanted to use yet another picture here. Uh, so this is, you guys may remember in 2004, there's a devastating tsunami uh, that happened in Southeast Asia, December 2004. So as it happened, this, this happened to be uh, near my hometown, my home country. Uh, so the tsunami that happened in 2004, to date, to date uh, still the deadliest tsunami ever recorded in, in the history. So very devastating. So if you're not familiar with, if your geography today is rusty, so let me get you oriented here. So this is the Indian Ocean, so this is Southeast Asian, so that's my home uh, country there, Indonesia. Our neighbor is Malaysia. If uh, some of you have lived in Singapore, visited Singapore before, Singapore is just at the tip of that Malaysia right there. But this is Indian Ocean, and then north, uh, to the north, uh, are South India, right? So, uh, or India, Bangladesh, Myanmar, and then Australia is way in the corner there. So this is, uh, this is where the tsunami took place. So in that tsunami, uh, tsunami, uh, if you're not familiar, tsunami uh, is, is essentially is, is, uh, is an earthquake that happened at the bottom of the sea, at the bed of the sea. So the tectonic plate movement at the bottom of the sea, when it happened, it created giant waves, right? The giant waves would rise from the sea and then it would, it would sweep the mainland. So that's what tsunami uh, is. So in this particular tsunami in 2004, 200 people lost their lives. Devastating still, like I said, uh, the, the most devastating uh, tsunami in the history. The waves, as it recorded, uh, was seen as high as 30 feet. So there are so 30 feet is three-story building. So you can imagine you are faced with the waves that was that high. Three-story building waves coming, crashing at you. So uh, yet, uh, oh, I do have a picture of kind of the destruction of the tsunami. So this is, this is what uh, the aftermath of, of the disaster. So this is the this particular picture is the entire city wiped by, by, by the water. Uh, at the very top, you can tell that that's the water line. So, you know, quite literally, the entire city is at the sea level now. Everything wiped, building destroyed, uh, lives lost, you know, everything ruined, right? Uh, so very devastating uh, uh, incident, a disaster in 2004. Yet, there is uh, an amazing, amazing story of survival uh, from a little tiny island uh, I, I, I couldn't place the island for the life of me because Indonesia, as you can imagine, uh, had a ton of island. But this little island is called Simile Island. This happened to be the closest. It's not even on the picture here because it's so tiny. But this is the closest inhabited island to the epicenter of the earthquake. So it's only about 30 miles from the center of the earthquake. So this remote island had 75,000 people, and only seven people died on the island. Everybody else survived. Unbelievable story. So two, you know, for many, many years, this has been subject of, you know, documentaries, news article, graduate level paper, research paper had been written over this unbelievable story. 
Because that's that's amazing. That's amazing story of survival. It's just you know it's it's defying, right? It's a disaster. It's it's, it's just nature uh, nature defying uh, incident here. So how was that possible? Uh, what what? So so here's what happened. So what happened was the people on that island. The people on that island they had heard stories. That were passed down through generation from the from their grandparents from their grandparents. That almost a century ago, in 1907, a very similar giant waves didn't have the scientific name for it. Obviously, there were giant waves came to the island and killed thousands. So this is what their grandparents told them. So over the years, the people on that island they learn. They develop warning signs for this kind of calamity. So they paid attention to the warning sign, right? To the nature signs. So they study the winds, they study the waves, the ocean. They also study the animals' behavior. Uh, but not only that, they also develop very sophisticated network among themselves. You know, communication, right? Accountability, right? If something were to happen in case of disaster, what would you do? So over the years, they built this, you know, understanding, their knowledge. So in the morning of December 26, they got to apply what they learned, right? They understood the warning sound. So when the ground started shaking... When the sea started to retreat from the shore, the people understood. The people saw the warning signs. They fled to the higher ground, and they survived. So Paul has the same instruction for us this morning, for the Corinthian church and for us this morning. So Paul said in verse 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So the word there is take heed, right? It simply means pay attention to the warning signs. So the Greek word for, for this is blepo, is, is very intentional. So Paul used a very intentional word that means not only to perceive with eye, so not only that we see something, but we also observe, we discern, and we contemplate what that means, right? The, the warning signs. The word is also a present imperative. So what it means is that this activity, this, this activity of paying, paying uh, attention is not just a one-time activity. It's a calling for continual attention. So in other words, we need to develop our warning sign, right? We need to pay attention, so, friends, I, I asked you this morning, right? So, what are areas in our life that we need to guard, right? What are our warning signs, right? What are the things that we watch on, I don't know, Netflix, Hulu, whatever your, uh, your method of uh, entertainment, right? Who, what, what kind of music are you listening to, right? Who are the friends that you hang out with? What are the activities that filling up your calendar? Where do you, where do you spend your money on, right? So, those are the areas that we need to guard. We need to be aware. We need to set our boundaries. Build spiritual alertness. Build spiritual discipline. 
So we can start with, you know, meditate on God's word, right? Be in community, right? How about be in community? You know, how about joining uh, the real uh, women, uh, right? Having an accountability partner. And we do need to pray, right? We need to pray regularly. Pray for purity of desire. Pray for wisdom so that we can recognize our own pitfalls. Uh, we do need to pray for strength, uh, strength to fight the battle that we simply can avoid. And we do this less, less we fall, to avoid falling. So here's what I notice about falling. Uh, so, so rarely do people think that they will fall, right? So, you know, most see, you know, myself included, I see myself as standing secured and confident, uh, I never intend or never schedule where I want to fall, right? So, so we think of ourselves that we are strong and we're standing perfectly fine. Uh, but, that's the, that's, but that's the exact reason why we need to always be on the lookout, right? We, we cannot be overconfident, just like the Corinthians, right? We cannot be too smugly and reckless in our conduct, right? We need to continue to pay attention, So lastly, uh, Paul also mentioned in the next verse, right, the, the, the thing is that in this fallen world that throws temptation at us every day that we are never alone. Uh, so that's the good news for us this morning, right? Even though we are not faithful, we have a faithful God. So uh, read with me verse 13. So verse 13 says that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with, tem- with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may able to endure it. So this is the good news for us this morning, right? While we are unfaithful, we do have a God who is, we are serving a God who is faithful. Uh, so God provides us the safety that we could never provide for ourselves. He fights on our behalf when we can't seem to resist. Uh, he gives us wit- wisdom, right? He gives us community to us. Uh, and then we, you know, we, we, are, we are getting what we need, uh, exactly what we need at the right timing. So this, uh, this, this is uh, something that you can explore further uh, in your own time. Uh, don't have time to unpack this. Uh, but this is, this is a story from Genesis 39. Uh, I love this story uh, be- because this is a story about jo- Joseph uh, being tempted uh, and this is the story of Joseph. Uh, if you're not familiar with the stories, this is the, the, the gist of the story that Joseph, after being sold by his brother, uh, he found himself in Egypt. And uh, he was serving a master. His master's name is Potiphar. And then the wife, uh, you know, the wife came to Joseph and tempted him, uh, you know, to have, uh, you know, inappropriate relationship. What's interesting, well, you know, the story then went on that Jesus was able to refuse, right, to, to sleep with her. And then because G- Joseph did not desire to sin against God, uh, eventually Joseph got fired, thrown into jail, and so on. Uh, but there's one interesting, one fascinating part of this story that, that I wanted to draw your attention to is that this story, uh, Genesis 39, again, you can read that on your own time uh, 
you know, at home, right, in your quiet time. This story, Genesis 39, was bookended by phrases, by verses that are repeatedly uh, there, right? So it mentioned two times at the beginning of the chapter, also mentioned three times at the end of the story. The first is simple. The first is that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. So that is, you know, the, the author wanted to draw a very clear picture, right? But in midst of Joseph's temptation, he was with Joseph all the way through. So such a comfort for us this morning, right? That's the good news of the gospel this morning, that the unseen hands of God are always at work, even when we don't know it, even when we resist that. So here we are again, uh, back to the same quote that I opened with. So in spite of our temptation, in spite of our own weaknesses, our call this morning is, is to give all that we have for God's glory and honor. And again, the good news is that we're not doing it alone. So as we close our time together, I'll leave you with one more thought. So many, many years have passed since the, you know, the walk in the wilderness, right? Since that testing of the Israelites. So many years have passed, another Jewish man burst into the scene, and he too was tested, uh, also in the wilderness. So after being baptized, after 40 days of fasting, Jesus was also tempted by Satan. The testing follows the same exact pattern with the testing of the Israelites and the testing that we have in our own life. It's all about flesh, right? About our body, body needs, bodily needs. It's about pride, it's about power, it's about obedience. Same exact framework, same exact playbook that Satan had. But there's a contrast. The contrast was that the Israelites, they were not always faithful as we read earlier, and they did not pass. But Jesus, though, on the other hand, he completed his time of testing, and he remained through to his vocation as son of God. So Jesus passed not only the task in those 40 days, but up until his last breath on the cross. So Paul make a mention of this. In Philippians 2.8, Paul said that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him the name that is above every name. So Jesus is victorious. Jesus is able. So the, the scripture says this morning that in his kindness, this is from Second uh, Peter, that in, in his kindness, God called you to share his eternal glory by means of Christ. So if you are in Christ this morning, you are in good company, right? You too can be confident that you are not fighting your battle alone. And we need to continually remind ourselves to draw strength, right? That through our fellowship with Him, we too can all also be strengthened. So will you pray with me?